Welcome to New Week, New Music. In this bonus episode, we're going to be discussing three classic albums. And now, classics is a, a bit of a debatable term, but these are mostly just three older albums that we thought were interesting or influential in some way that we wanted to talk about. It is going to be a recurring thing we're going to do, and I, I think that the definition of classic will get muddled. It's not necessarily going to be uh, classics, because uh, as you said, it's a bit of a loaded term, but um, I definitely do think in this case, the three we picked fall into that category pretty, pretty squarely. It, it's hard to argue against these three. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're doing a Phydra by Tangerine Dream, Long Season by Fishman's, and uh, I don't even know how I want to pronounce De this. But Mysterious Dome Sathanas by, by Mayhem. Mayhem. And, you know, not in that order, though. So go me being very, very on it right now. Say the wrong order. <laughs> we're so we're starting with Fishman's. With Fishman's. <laughs> I didn't even oh. catch that. 2021's <laughs> off to a great start. Yeah, oh god. Yeah, that's strong. Technically, it's still part of the... <laughs> we're ending 2020 we're not, on the note it deserves. The yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Fishman, so this was your choice, Ben. This was my choice, yes. So, so yeah, what do you think? Did you, why did you pick Fishman's? I picked Fishman's um, because... Well, for one, I was just curious as to what you guys thought of the album. Um, it's one that I discovered fairly recently... Um, it's also a, a group that I discovered fairly recently, as did kind of the general music community. As we talked about um, in the previous episode, uh, Fishman's, I think, recorded most of their stuff in the 1990s, um, but didn't really become popular or well-known until maybe 20 years after the fact. Um, so they kind of had an interesting career trajectory where they were discovered probably because of, you know, online forums and rating systems and activity and and uh, a lot of people found they really like their stuff. And all of a sudden, um, while they're certainly not a household name, I think they are decently recognizable um, as a musical group, too. I mean, that's kind of like a bit of a trip to like, you know, because like they had, you know, they had been making music for like the entirety of the 90s. Right. Um, and I just imagine like it's so weird that like in like the mid 2000s, you know, to, like a decade plus after they had, you know, more or less stopped they started to get all the attention for work they had done like you yeah. know 10 15 years ago that's got to be weird it's got to be what really do you weird. even do in that situation it's like i don't think they did much <laughs> if anything I, to my knowledge they like they never like did a comeback or no. anything like, well i think their i think their singer died oh did he? I, I know nothing about them yeah so. i don't remember exactly if i recall their singer died like like in the early 2000s, I believe. And so they probably just didn't have the, the wherewithal or the desire to get back together. I mean, they would have had to probably reconfigure the whole thing. So yeah, that knows, would be kind of tricky. That makes things tough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like replacing a, a, a lead singer is difficult. It's always like, a hard thing to do, yeah. Um, and from what I aware, he was also, like, I think they all were heavily involved in the songwriting. So, like, replacing a lead singer who's also, you know, one of the primary songwriters. Yeah, not easy. Yeah. Um, so so it, what about this album? To, yeah, it just kind of adds to the mystique to it. And, and um, uh, one of the reasons I, I picked this album um, is the first time I heard it, it was just very distinctive to me. Um, it really stood out. Um and I just thought it was compelling. Uh, I don't want to get too much into my opinions on it yet because we'll get into that in a second. But basically, I just thought it was it was something that could trigger a lot of discussion. Um, I'll just give you 
our listeners a brief rundown of the album, which is which is basically it's one song in uh, I think five or six different movements. But uh, the entire album is about you know 35, 40 minutes, and it is straight up just one song. Um, it's very uh, you know riff based with some simple patterns um, and a lot of you know the, the whole structure of the album is kind of based on some really simple themes. Um, and that appeals to me a lot. We've talked about that kind of thing before, um, you know, with the microphones album, kind of similar uh, style yeah, of thing. Yeah. Uh, listening to this album, I was just like, this album is so Ben, it's not even funny. Oh, it's so me. It like, might be the most so ben, is, yeah. me album ever. <laughs> like, yeah, they do. Uh, <laughs> Fishman's knew what I liked and they made me an album. Yeah. Um, so I think it's time to actually get into yeah, our feelings into of this album. And I'm going to start because it's going to be, this is the stupidest reason uh, for disliking an album. And I will say, I actually do enjoy the vast majority of this album. I think, like, the instrumentation is luscious and beautiful. Um, I uh, Their sounds are amazing. I love how they, like, weave in, like, the traditional uh, inst instruments in it as well. But around the 14-minute mark, and it continues for, like, a solid 10 minutes of the album, there's, like, a every like 30 seconds or so there's like a splash sounds yep. like someone and taking it a sounds shit like, like someone pooping <laughs> into the toilet <laughs> just reverbed all the way to hell loud. <laughs> and it the, ruins the entire album for me i had i was sitting there like God, does I, everyone I else hear a guy dropping a fat shit because <laughs> i like totally time, do <laughs> every time i hear it i'm like it's like that's my initial oh, thought that's what it sounds like and then i try to like I try to rationalize it when I hear it. It's like, no, that could be like, like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to come up with, with another explanation for what to be producing that sound. I'm convinced I that's can't actually it. what it is. <laughs> God. Yeah. That, uh, that is the big negative on the album. 100%. I, I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a good 10 minutes where I'm like seriously contemplating if I'm listening to someone take a dump. But beyond that, I, I really do like the the kind of simple riff based thing. I, I loved how like five minutes in the variety of sounds I had already heard was just wild. It's like accordion and guitar and synths and all sorts of shit. And I really liked I thought they did a God, good job so good. structuring it. And so like it kept coming back to that riff in a way that kind of really made right. sense. Uh, so I, I actually yeah. enjoyed it quite I, a bit. My favorite I mean, part about that is, um, uh, uh, my favorite part is like every single time it, when it does come back to that riff, um, it, it, it's very different while still being the same every single time. Like, it, yeah, it is the same riff, but it, it every single time it goes back to it, it feels distinct. Yeah, whether yeah. it's slightly different rhythm or it's a different instrument or something, and like you know what it is, but it's also a little bit of a variation, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a, it's really tastefully done. And before before I get into that, I just want to talk about the riff itself because I don't know what the process was for creating this album, but I have to imagine at some point they were just doing they're on the piano and and um, guitar and stuff, and and they found that riff, and they were probably just like whoa dude there it this is this is like the best riff ever in the history this of music. is the riff <laughs> i wonder what we can do with this <laughs> we need to make an entire, an entire album, album based, off based of on this it one but man what a what a gorgeous 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 riff i mean i mean it just I think hits that's you. just the, 
That's just, just the best way to describe this right album. in the heart. Just, it is just gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Well, and it's interesting too because specifically about the riff, I don't even think it's necessarily a great riff. It's kind of like it's a very generic sounding, pretty mm -hmm. basic. It's like four it's or five basic. notes, and and so it's not like this amazing riff. It's it's what they did with it that makes it so good. Because like yeah. I can imagine a bunch no, of very situations simple, I mean, where that riff sucks in the context of a song. But they, what they did with it was so good. Like, you know, they, they got the inspiration yeah. out of it to make something this cool. Yeah. Like, I, I do agree with you. There are, like, so many ways, like, the riff could have just, like, you know, been wasted or, you know, not done well. If it wasn't given, like, a good song for context around it. But, like, I think that just kind of, like, makes this album even more impressive. That not only were they able to give it context for a song and make it sound as amazing as it does they were able to give it context for an entire, entire album. album and yeah. it never gets old it feels fresh every time and it sounds great every time yeah like that that is some impressive ass shit i, I want to talk to you about the moment right around the, the 22 and a half minute mark where you know it's kind of coming out of that that really down tempo with the the shit splash and the uh like the kind of the bird chirping and stuff and the chirping funnily enough kind of reminded me of our next album at some point but uh, um you know at 22 and a half minutes where like the full band comes back in and you've got the bass and you've got everything and it you know it's the riff again but it's in like a full kind of rock band style context such a great hit and such a good like brings that energy up for the close of the album which is awesome yeah it's such a satisfying um finale because it you know it basically returns to where we started but in a yeah in a different mood um and i, I just love the the finality of it um and, and some people might not like it because they might find it repetitive like oh i already heard this before why you, you know musically if, if you if you look at the notes being played you could shorten this album to probably about 10 minutes but it's 35 minutes and, and I personally love that. I can see some people seeing that as a criticism, but for me, it always felt just so right and natural for it to revisit what we started with. It's like a, it's like an endless loop, um, but a really satisfying one as well. See, I'm going to somewhat disagree with you when you're saying like short, you can shorten it down to 10 minutes. Got every moment on here to me seems so important. Like, Oh, like I agree. The down, I agree totally. The quote-unquote downtime of this album is so important to the fi the finished product. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, but by no means am I saying that... Um, yeah, all I'm saying is just like if you look at the, the actual riffs and the notes... Oh, you know, okay. I'm, I'm it's basically... Yeah, that's you. all I'm saying. But no, no, absolutely. Every moment of this album is important and, yeah, should not be uh, diminished at all. Yeah. Well, like, and... Uh, I mean, obviously, it kind of goes without saying for an, al for an album that's an entire song. Like, you need to listen to it, you know, in one, you know, setting yeah. like that. But yeah, like, you it, can't it, do part you, of this. You really, really do. Like, it's... It, everything builds off of everything before it. Right. Like, you, you can't really get to point B without getting to point A. Right. Like, well, and I think, you know, one of the things that one of the kind of platitudes about music or whatever is that at the core music is repetition. You know, we have scales and we have rhythms and constructs that supposedly work, but you think about it, you know, in like 
a, a bunch of other cultures, you know, historically non-Western cultures use different musical scales. There's nothing really inherent in music that's like inherently correct, except the repetition. It's the, the, repetition, the right. reuse of those same things in the repetition where your brain is able to kind of predict or be surprised with what comes next inside that framework. So, to, you know, repeating a riff across 40 minutes or 35 minutes or whatever is inherently musical because that's that's kind of the point it the oh, riff almost gets better with the repetition oh it does yeah and that, that reminds me um uh, i don't know if you guys have seen it it's a video of uh, i believe it was bobby mcfarren um giving some sort of a talk to i think they were music students but basically he would he sang a note he sang like two notes on stage and then he had the audience sing the next note and everyone instinctively knew where it was going to go next because yeah, like you said, music is kind of a natural pattern progression, and it is on some level intuitive, even for people who aren't musically trained. We kind of know if we hear three chords in a song, we can usually guess what the next chord's going to be. Yeah. You may not actually know the name of that chord because you don't no, have the training, no, but, but, you, like but you, you can, but you can hear it. Sound you know like. what yeah, yeah. to expect. And I do think this album's actually like a really good play on that. Like, Yeah, for it, sure. It feels very intuitive, but yet it really is kind of unlike most other things that I've heard before. It's yeah, pretty it's, unique. It's fairly I really unique, can't. Yeah. My, my closest um, comparison to this would probably be Animals by Pink Floyd. Um, I was going to say, uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Saigar Rose. Oh, yeah. Sigaros, um, yeah. Sigaros, uh -huh. yeah. I have yeah. no idea how it was pronounced, but yeah. Uh, that would be my closest uh, comparison. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, too. And uh, I yeah. will say uh, an album that did come out last year that we didn't uh, that we didn't record. Uh, what the hell is it called? Uh, we it came out really late and we had discussed it. The, oh, the Adan no Kaze by Ichigo Aoba. Um, it, it's the the number two album on Write Your Music for last oh, year. Oh, gotcha. Right I actually never checked that one out. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, that's actually I would. Was that the ambient one? Uh, yeah, I remember. Um, that's probably that's another like close comparison for something more recent. Um, I I will say I do think this version's much better than that. But, <laughs> uh, as far as like similar comparisons, that's about the best I have. Yeah, but it, it's it's so distinctive and unique and uh, we talked uh, a couple times this year about things that make you feel nostalgic despite never having actually experienced them in the first place and that's totally how i felt in this album like the, the, even the first time i heard it it felt familiar for whatever reason like it just like struck a nerve like somewhere i, I don't know Obviously, I'd never heard the album before. For but me, felt... I would dis I would describe the it as feeling nostalgic because it made me feel very nostalgic. Yeah, yeah I agree. I don't know. Definitely maybe it's just that like nineties sound, or I don't know if that's even a thing. But for I mean, whatever it, reason, it, yeah. there is a nineties sound. I would not consider this a nineties sound. This is very different from the majority yeah. of music. I'm sure. Oh no, no, are yeah, it's not. It's definitely not mainstream nineties. But, but something about it, I don't know. It just feels like. I don't know. Like it, it doesn't feel modern. It feels, but it doesn't feel. It's very old. familiar. It just feels. It feels child. Like just reminds me of my childhood. I guess. And I, for, it feels timeless. It does feel timeless. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, oh. But yeah, it's. I I definitely understand why this record has the love that it has, 
But man, just the the shit splashing really just. (laughs) The first time I heard it, like it just kept going on, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm skipping forward. I can't take this." And then it it happened again, and I was like, "Fucking turning the album off." (laughs) I'm glad you guys had that same experience. I was gonna, I was hoping we would. uh, If we can like record it with and just remove those splashes, this album would be way better, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, I don't think it really. bothered me a ton but i wish the sound was a little different to where it, my mind it went bothers somewhere me else so much yeah. i could definitely <laughs> like, see that i honestly feel you. bad like it because it's such a great album outside of that but it really really ruins the experience i mean then again me. they like they consciously made the choice to put that in so i mean they gotta live with the the consequences i suppose well i think it's one of those things too where uh sound is very visual in association for oh, yeah. foley type sounds so when they knew what was making the sound they probably never heard it because in their head they're seeing what's making right. the it sound was, uh, it was this rock dropping into this koi pond or something like that and yeah it probably yeah, and, and i don't even know what how they it's, did it's, it, a, but... it's a weird thing where once once you lose that visual you you're <laughs> uncharted territory and it certainly doesn't always take you where you want to go right (laughs) maybe they maybe that is what they were going for and they were just incredible trolls (laughs) that like i said i'm not entirely unconvinced it's not someone just taking a shit hey guys one of the most the most beautiful one of the most beautiful albums ever made let's do a shit splash just to just to (laughs) give the critics something to Anyway, that's... Chew on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm ready to move on to, to Tangerine Dream. Um, yeah, um, so um, actually before that, though, like, yeah, I'll give my final thoughts. Great yeah. album. It, it, it's one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard, one of the most timeless sounds I've ever heard. But it is kind of ruined by one of the most questionable... <laughs> Sonic uh, choices to an album I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it pretty much start to finish. Well worth a well worth a visit. Great, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for picking it. It was, it yeah, was a good, good one. Good choice. All right, so Tangerine Dream, Eric. This was your pick. So why did you pick Tangerine Dream? Yeah, so Tangerine Dream is a very uh, you know they're a very old school electronic act and uh, how yeah, old very is modular this album exactly? Uh, 74, I think I'd have to double check that it's, it's definitely mid seventies, but yeah, it's, I mean, so part of what's cool about this album is, uh, it's, it's a very early kind of full, full sequenced synthesizer act. And so you gotta, you know, some of the context for this, all of this was sequenced on analog sequencers, you know, there's no computers really involved in making this stuff. It was all either played in live or, or sequenced with analog controls. And so I do think it sounds a bit basic by maybe some of today's deep electronic music standards, like, you know, rhythmically, uh, especially because we just have so much more variety today. But I think for what it was, it's a very interesting look at some of the kind of early, early aspects of electronic music. And I, I do think if you can't hear the inspiration that these guys give to a lot of the current acts, you're deaf. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's some aspects of this album that just completely bled, like, you know, against all logic or, uh, soft pink truth. Like I noticed a lot of here. Um, yeah, like there, there's hearing the influence that these guys had on, on those artists. Yeah. It's pretty difficult to miss. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird album in the sense that I don't think, personally for me, it really holds up in an enjoyment, like a pure musical enjoyment sense. Like, if I want this sound, I'm going to go listen to Ateca instead. Because, you know, the music has just evolved and really the technology has gotten to the point where you can make something more compelling than this. But it's such a cool album from the historical standpoint. It's like visiting a museum of electronic music. Yeah, like, that's a you really just hear the sounds and it's like, holy shit. You know, this is the sound. This is where this came from. Yeah, I, I do definitely agree with you that, like, it is a bit rough at times. Like, actually, one of the notes I uh, put on here is, like, this album feels like a, more of a proof of concept than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, I actually really, really liked this. Um, yeah, I mean, I do I, enjoy I, it. I, like, it's some a of good the, album. The sound, play, uh, the sound play on here is amazing, and it just... Uh, the songwriting is actually uh, really, really impressive too. Um, for it's and it's not that's not necessarily something I expect from like the early days of electronic music. Yeah, it's well crafted, and, and for me, um, I think the fact that it sounds dated actually um, improves it for me because. Yeah, like you said, you feel like it's kind of like a museum or like a blueprint for what would come later, but it it, it really feels almost otherworldly because it, it you can hear the fact that it wasn't produced with modern technology. And for me, that just makes it more interesting. Yeah, it's it, it blows my mind that this came out in the mid-70s. Like, yeah, they recorded it, it in 73 like, and that's released in 74. for me to understand, like, physically. <laughs> like, it... <laughs> Yeah, that's like, pretty cool. It like cause I I just don't associate the mid seventies with anything like this. Yeah, and like it, it blows my mind to to hear it and actually and to hear it sound as good as it does. Um, and I I just I love the the opening track Phaedra. It's just such an ominous sound with some really good like. I guess like special effects. I don't know, like, um, like some of like the panning that they do is really wild, and I I love it. But yeah, it's such a dark and, atmosphere. Um, it is very unsettling. Um, yeah, the the first track and the second I track as well. I also love how they use not necessarily like silence, but like they they really use the entire dynamic range on yeah. on this album, and I think that is just really really impressive. And kind of going back to something we've listened to and talked about on the show before this really uh i mean this fit perfectly with the other like early days of electronic music with being uh switched on bach um yeah like like the the similarities are there which I mean, uh, makes a lot of sense but um that uh uh what basically what i want to say is like what really impressed me about it was the songwriting like it really did have kind of like a classical uh, influence on it. Like it, it used dynamics way better than pretty much any than most music from that same era did. Yeah, I think if I had to put like a phrase to it, where, where something like Wendy Carlos is like a an argument for the case of the synthesizer as an instrument. This is more of like an argument for the case of the synthesizer as a compositional tool, which goes on to inspire, you know, of course, the Berlin School of, of electronic music is directly from these guys, but it really goes on to inspire a whole lot of the IDM and more intricate stuff that goes on now where it's, you know, 
the the artist and their synthesizer collaboratively more so than like just playing a woodwind instrument say yeah they, they yeah. did a ton um, as far as composition goes with with crafting an atmosphere and an, and an environment um in this album it, it's really really takes you to another place um and it's not it's not like punching sometimes you with some basic electronic music it feels like it's like punching a formula into a computer and it's spitting out the sounds and this is the total opposite of that yeah no yeah. this feels i mean this this feels as um like emotional as any like acoustic or in like instrument ever like there there's some real passion in this music which is really yeah. really cool how they uh can convey that through the music yeah I, I, the early days of electronic music are so cool if you know where to look because it's it's just such a great example of just phenomenal artists and musicians getting the absolute most out of these rather you know simple devices it's you know you just think about oh, yeah. the effort they had to put in to get something like this out of early 70s tech and it's just inc incredible. i wonder how much that technology cost back in the 70s uh, a lot there's an old yeah. moog synthesizer ad that uh it shows a picture of a synthesizer a modular very similar to what these guys would have used on a table and an f-150 next to it and it says if you can afford a truck you can afford a synthesizer and they're saying that like it's cheap, like the synthesizer costs as much as an F-150, and that is a good price. Oh my god. <laughs> These things were ludicrous. Wow. Luda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you just spoiled my next classic album, Ben. Jesus. <laughs> Did not expect him to get a shout-out on this one, but, you know. <laughs> it's yeah, I would have not any, expected a ludicrous shout-out. Anytime someone says the word ludicrous, I, that's kind of my... It's kind of my go-to. It's just like a nervous tick at this point. Uh, but one thing I, I did want to... I did want to say um, to touch on the, the theme of, you know, getting so much out of uh, synthesizers. Um, I, I ran across a Ken M quote uh, the other day. Um, he was talking about <laughs> pianos and he said, pianos should only have one big long key because limitations unlock the creative mind. <laughs> and uh and i thought of this how with, with uh you know, especially oh. in the 70s you know there there's probably a lot of like pushback backlash toward this kind of thing I, i'm sure there's a lot of skepticism as to is this real music is this blah blah, blah i mean you know, there's all, all the a usual lot of that there's discussion still today. like today there, there's still is today which is why i'm sure like, it was, must have yeah been i'm more, sure it was so much worse back then ratcheted up then but but it really shows like yeah i mean to, to do that with non-traditional instruments with just electronic stuff and to still produce uh something that is emotional something that is really compelling and something that feels every bit as legitimate as traditional instrumentation i think is is pretty cool that you can do that if, if you're a good musician good songwriter and uh one uh, one more thing i wanted to add is the I don't, it's going to be kind of hard to describe for me, but the songwriting on this album really forces, like, forces you to listen to this album. Like, at least yeah, for yeah. me, like, it really just grabs me, and I just really uh, just want to just focus on it as hard as I can. It, there's just something so deep and compelling about how they've composed this this album the song the the sound play that they use the songwriting the um the production that's used um and there's something about it that really just forces me 
to focus on it. And there, yeah. there's not yeah. a lot of music that does that for me. And so no, it's totally. really cool to see that. And because a lot of the time there's not even like distinct notes, really. It's more just the ambient soundscape and these yeah, like, just, like yeah, these gradual shifts that they've created. These shifts to to different uh, moods almost. And yeah, it does really make you pay a close attention. Yeah, that that's about all I got for this one. Um, I of all of the three that we picked out, this honestly might be my highest recommendation, especially if you're into like some of the weirder uh, electronic music out there and you haven't heard these guys like you kind of gotta yeah, see where kinda, it all began so to speak i would say it's a bit of a niche recommendation in the sense that you know people that are really into Ateca, people that are really into nicholas jar stuff things like that will probably hear of these guys and listen to them eventually so it's it's a very like as you're starting to get into the more esoteric electronic music this is a really good stop on that journey to kind of give yourself some history and get to the roots, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Yeah, great choice. Um, I, I loved it, too. But at the very least, it was a it was a uh, educational piece of kind of music history for me. So I think just for that reason alone, it's probably worth checking out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that brings us to our final and certainly most controversial of the three albums we'll be talking about today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Let's All get right. into it. So, uh, De Mysterious Dom Sothanas by Mayhem. Uh, why did I pick this album? Uh, because I hate myself, I think, is part of it. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, in all seriousness, one thing that uh, we've touched on this show before is separating uh, art from the from the art separating the art from the artist um and obviously that's kind of a requirement to listen to you know early mayhem and honestly an unfortunate large amount of just metal in general um, yeah i mean it, I unless say you're it's a total like... piece of shit by the way which is actually so let's just kind of get that out of the way the uh uh vargs vilkerson i believe is his name it was the bassist, I believe. Maybe yeah, he, he did bass sure. on. It says okay. he did bass uh, on, yeah. on this album. Yep. And he's a colossal piece of shit, to say the least. And, yeah, I mean, pretty much. He and, ticks all the boxes that you could think of. Yeah, like he's a Nazi. <laughs> he killed a guy. Like yeah, he murdered a, his bandmate, didn't he? Yeah, who's also on this. Who's record, also on this record? By the yeah. Way. Yeah. So. Um, doesn't get much uh, more worse that, than uh, literal murderous old... Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a it's not an exaggeration. He is a murderous Nazi. He is in fact a Nazi and he has in fact murdered someone. <laughs> um but uh so anyway, uh, my my whole perspective on separating the art from the artist is as long as you can uh as long as you're like honest about and like it realize that the person's a piece of shit then there's not really necessarily a problem with enjoying music made by terrible people and anyone can draw that line anywhere they want um but as long like it's to me it's kind of impossible to to feel good about listening to music like this our Led Zeppelin our 
the Rolling Stones are, you know, the Beatles to some extent. Yeah. Um, without, you know, you kind of need to realize like, hey, they all did really, really shitty things. And that needs to be acknowledged. What the impact that they've had on their specific music scenes doesn't go away because they're shitty people. But to move forward, we need to recognize that they're they're shitty people. Yeah, I I, I pretty much agree um, totally um, with what you said. I think obviously uh, we all listen to stuff and not just music, but anything uh, consume things that um, were made by atrocious, atrocious people. Um, and I don't know how realistic it is to expect the individual to sift those things out. Because like you said, you know, uh, you, you turn on the radio and they're playing R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. You turn on your TV, uh, you know, you see Kevin Spacey in an ad. Uh, you see Michael Vick playing football or Charlie Sheen, you know. Doing whatever the hell Charlie Sheen does. Or doing whatever he does. I mean, <laughs> I think if you were to uh, completely, you, you know, if we were to completely sift out those things, you know, we... Uh, a lot of the recognizable pop culture things we're all so used to that we get bombarded with would, you know, would disappear. It, it, who knows how much would be left. So, yeah, I mean, but, but it does need to be acknowledged. Um, and I would say my, my take on it is, you know, to give an example, um, you know, don't throw out your, your Led Zeppelin records, but do throw Jimmy Page in prison because he's still alive and it's not too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a personal thing in the sense where I, I don't think you should necessarily feel bad for enjoying these people's work. You, you shouldn't. You know, if you enjoy their music, if you enjoy their work, you shouldn't feel bad about that. But on the other hand, you know, it's also perfectly valid to say, you know what, I feel weird listening to this and I don't like it because of that. And that's also totally fine. And, you know, even yeah. for, for bands like Zeppelin and people who are so influential, I mean... You have to objectively acknowledge the influence, but I, I think as far as personal enjoyment, it's just a if you if it doesn't bother you, great. If it does bother you, that's that's fine too. I I, I might say with the, the slight caveat, if if the music is specifically spreading a message that isn't good, you know, like right, like uh, if Chris Brown releases a track about how much he loves to beat up his hoe, and you're like, yeah, I'm into this, that's maybe a bit questionable. <laughs> Like if you know yeah, if the music if the people are I, I shitty agree. and the music explicitly expresses those opinions, there's something right, there. If you're promoting Nazi propaganda or something like that, and that and that that's a good point you make. But it also is a little complicated too because I mean the Beatles, you know, the Rolling Stones, Zeppelin, they wrote songs about uh, you know statutory rape, promoting it. I mean, they did in fact. Not that it was the main message of yeah. the song, but you know, there's 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 clues everywhere. Um, about that kind of stuff not those, just those bands but pretty much any band that was making music in the 60s or 70s there's a I mean, lot like the, of that kind of stuff uh, a classic example of that is the the kiss song christine 16 like well and it's everywhere yeah. i mean there's so many different tracks like yeah. that i mean the too many to yeah. name yeah. And, and that's a great example because that's a case where like a lot of those tracks that are, you know that are like christine 16 example there's the the dio track about you know i forget what it's called but there's one somewhere that and you know those are songs that a lot of times I just don't listen to, and that doesn't mean I'm going to stop listening to the artist, but like those ones specifically make me a bit uncomfortable. And so, you know what, if they come up on Spotify, I just hit skip and I continue listening to that artist and, and that's fine. But I, I will mm -hmm. say that's kind of, for me, that's kind of the line is if the song is explicitly like, you know, go be a Nazi, go kill your neighbor. And you know that this guy is a Nazi and killed his 
friend or whatever, it's like, maybe not for me on that track. But if there's another track that's about something else, you know, I'm going to, of course, acknowledge that he's a shitty person. But if, you know, if the message isn't explicitly the point of the music, then I'm, I'm pretty OK listening to it for the most part. And I wanted to I wanted to bring up the topic of basically boycotts, cancellations, stuff like that, because I think we're all in agreement that it's, you know, it's, it's hard to expect individuals to, you know, uh, uh, filter these things out themselves because it's frankly, it's just difficult to do. Um, what's the role of venues and platforms and stuff like that in this context? What, what should, you know, what should other entities, large organizations do, um, when things like sexual assault or, or, or racial, um, incitement come up? I mean, what, what do you guys think the proper role is for, for different entities well, see there's there's an interesting that's point there tough. too um, yeah. in the that's sense a very like question but so yeah. something something I, I would touch on too with that is like for example like let's 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 bring it back to this album a little bit more specifically black metal you know slayer sings about killing people and praising satan and stuff all the time and outside of the the act you know off stage outside of the piece of art the performance they're saying no, I don't believe in all that shit. It's or, or, or ghost, you know, ghost sings about praising Satan. They sing about, you know, performing witchcraft and all that shit. And and when they get off stage, they say, no, we just like the aesthetic. It's the same as watching the exorcist. Course, yeah, it's part of the it's, performance. It's a yeah. piece of art. We find it compelling, but that doesn't mean we believe in it. And that's a very different thing than somebody who believes and lives it. Oh, absolutely. So what happens? And I mean, so if it, you're gonna kind ask of, a venue to filter people, I think I think it's it's a very different thing, and, and you got to be really careful here between filtering out a piece of art that might have you know questionable content, but is from good people and is for entertainment purposes, from just filtering shitty people on the basis of them being shitty regardless of their art, you know? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And 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 to be clear, I'm not I'm not even really talking about the former. I mean, uh, as far as the content goes, you know, I'm mainly talking about what happens when it comes out that a certain group has committed rape or, uh, you know, are Nazis like what? And for me, it's kind of, um, I, I think there is a real role for venues to play and, and to some degree music platforms, although that one's a little tricky and I, I do want to touch on that in a second. But for me, I, you know, we hear a lot these days about the term cancel culture and I'm a huge, huge proponent of cancel culture. I think it's a positive thing. Um, I think it's generally the, the basic principle principle of it is good, which is that nobody's entitled to a platform. Um, and to think that you are, uh, I think just reeks of, of arrogance and, and entitlement. And under that pretense, I think, you know, music groups ha have every right and reason to tell people to fuck off. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's good that, that we're seeing more of that with, um, you know, with people like, I was going to say Chris Brown, but to be honest, he has gone kind of unscathed and all this, but you know, you can come up with examples of people who, um, are getting shut out of, of being given a leg up. And I think that's a good thing. I do. I do. Uh, music venues don't necessarily need to like filter these people out. They don't necessarily have to do that. But that being said, if there was like a bar that, here in town that like hosted like Nazi supporting metal bands on a regular basis they're playing. I would not uh, give that place my money. Oh, uh, no, of course not. Cause like, 
I mean, the the that's a conscious decision at that point. The venue themselves may not, you know, support those views, but they at least tolerate them enough to let these people come, right? And you know, be not. And, and I think I think it's complex in the sense too that uh, you know, what do you do if let's say, and, and uh, full caveat, this has not happened. This is a hypothetical. These people have no association. But let's say somebody like Metallica has mayhem open for them. What do you do as a venue then? You say, I'm going to turn down Metallica because of this opening act? Or, well, to or, be fair, well, no, uh, I mean, you, the people well, you, left you can, in Mayhem today aren't necessarily Nazis. No, 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 no they're not. No, he's like a but, but no, they're they're not that saying. I'm aware of. Well, yeah. I mean, but here's the thing um, is you could, I mean, as a venue, you could, I mean, it's not like this thing happens out of nowhere. You could negotiate with Metallica. I mean, but there's a there's a whole planning process that, that goes before a show. I mean, you know, you could say... Well, uh, absolutely. I think that's part of why Chris Brown still has a platform, though, is he's got labels behind him that are making a lot of money and the labels put a lot of pressure on venues and stuff. You know, I think it's I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. You know, if there's a local venue that consistently hosts Nazi events, like I don't want to go there. But I do think there is it's a little bit more complicated than, you know, I, I don't want to put 100 percent of the pressure on, say, a venue because there may be situations either, no. where they can't necessarily like they're just dwarfed by the money and power in the industry behind some of these situations like Chris Brown. I think like I don't understand yeah, how he still has a situations, career. I would love for the venues to be able to say like, no, I'm I'm not hosting this. But I mean, it is a business at the end of the day. And depending on the size of the venue, if it's a small venue, getting that show could be a huge thing for them. And I well, don't, absolutely. And, and the, I and don't the, necessarily I would like to think, no, I wouldn't allow that for any amount of money. But like when it's, you know, trying to get food on the table for your family, it seems a bit different. And I mean, obviously, there's I just added, you know, four more layers of variables to this. But right. Um, but it's all part of it is all part of the, of yeah. the picture. Yeah. Basically, what I want to say, it's a complicated situation and Nazis are awful. And if you sympathize with Nazis in any way, fuck you. <laughs> Should be a pretty pretty easy thing to say, right? And it's unfortunately getting less and less common these days, which is I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. But so you know, murderous Nazis aside, what do you think of of this album? Okay, so now I'll get to why, like the musical reasons why I picked this album, in addition to just you know wanting to have what I think is actually a very important discussion to have. Oh yeah, um, completely. And one that doesn't get talked about enough because it, it is a bit of a uncomfortable topic. Um, so obviously we listened to a lot of experimental black metal last year and we loved a, a large percentage of it. Um, and honestly, this is where all of that began. It's, yeah. it's kind of difficult to overstate the importance this album had on the on the more extreme genres of metal and like just the the mystique of this album like this this is a cursed album like this is a cursed album uh two of the people that worked on it died during the recording and production of this album two of the two of the other people ended up in jail for significant <laughs> periods of time uh there was a threat to blow up the cathedral that's on the the cover that uh, cuz 
uh, Vargs, when he was arrested, was found with large amounts of explosives that were allegedly going to be used to blow up the church as like a as like a like in a, a release event stunt. Jesus. That's and just crazy. Like the Yeah, like this this is a truly evil and cursed album. And it has a mystique unlike really anything else uh that's come since. Yeah, it really uh, does. And with all that being said, it's a little rough to listen to in 2021. But damn, the in my opinion, at least like the core of what makes a great metal record are there and in spades. But it can be a little rough to listen to. Yeah, to me, it, it actually fits very, very well with Phydra in theme for this episode. And it's a very similar experience to me. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know that it a hundred percent holds up today like if i was going to listen to some black metal this is probably not the album i would go to but it's such an important stepping stone in the metal like i mean you think about this was in 94 and it, it really it actually does sound even older modern. than that it was originally recorded in 88 wow. but it didn't come out oh, until wow. 94 no kidding i i mean think about the the concept of like 88 is about the time like and justice for all is coming out and also that's a great the fact that it was recorded in eight eight makes it even uh, make even more sense. Yeah, yeah, but it, I mean, it, like that's a that's a great metal album, but it's a completely different world of heaviness of aggression. It's you know this is the kind of sound that we would think to be an evolution of eighties metal, not produced during the eighties. Right. Yeah. Poison is still touring when this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to give context there, I mean, yeah. metal like, at that time refers to both hair metal, like poison, right. and this. Yeah. Very ahead of yeah, its time. Yeah, pretty shocking. I, uh, so, Ben, what did you think? Uh, you're the one I was most interested to hear. Your yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, it was it was basically everything I wanted it to be. Um, it was very hard-hitting. Um, it was a lot more aggressive um, than its contemporaries. Again, I'm pretty ignorant on metal history, so I don't have the full context that you guys do, but I do know that, you know, with, like Eric said, with those hair metal stuff that was still going on, and, you know, even with stuff like Metallica, which Metallica was considered groundbreaking, and they were, but to me, this was like a far more interesting Metallica, you know, it's not like Metallica, I don't want to compare it, because it, it is very different, but... I mean, there, Metallica and Mayhem are both metal bands, that's about where their comparisons end. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, some of the guitar tones were similar to like what you hear on like Ride the Lightning and stuff like that. That was but but for me it was like if you took that and just made it way more brutal and way more creative. That's and recorded that's it in a dark Norwegian forest. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So I really <laughs> I really liked what they accomplished here and, and I can see why it's influential. Yeah, it's like every now and then I'm in the mood for for something like this. It it's it, this album to me scratches an itch very, very few other albums do. Um, uh, but one thing that I actually did want to uh, add on to what you were saying, Ben, when you, when you weren't really familiar with the context of like this record, the context of this record is there is no context. This right. kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and like, and I, I like obviously didn't come out of nowhere. Like obviously there was, you know, the entire like, 
uh, like Norwegian black metal scene in the 80s and 90s that this came out of. But, I mean, that was a very, very niche community. And if you weren't part of it, you had nothing to do with it. And this was really the first album of that scene that broke out of it. So most people hearing this had literally never heard anything like this before. So like th that, that's the context of the album. There, the context is there's nothing before it. It, it's a truly groundbreaking record that, it, I mean, it's, it's I, a wild story a, a bunch of, I mean, literal murderous Nazis come out of nowhere and redefine a genre before all of the personnel involved in the album go away forever due to crimes yeah, or death. Like, like the, the what original, in the hell? <laughs> the original lead singer of this band, his name was Dead, uh, committed suicide in 88 before the album was come out. But after they had done some recording and he had written a lot of the lyrics, which, by the way, they used a picture of his suicide for the album cover of a live bootleg that they came out with a few years later. Oof. Like, and I think... Necro Butcher, the bassist. He found Necro him. Butcher. And he actually. So so he found yeah, the singer's. Stage name, Necro yeah, Butcher. That's, that, that sounds about right. He found the, the dead singer and collected pieces of his corpse and gave them out to other metal musicians that he deemed worthy as like a yeah, sign of his God. respect. He <laughs> handed out pieces end. of dead skull. It's, I mean, yeah. this is wild shit. You know what? These yeah, guys, they, these guys lived, uh, they lived the lifestyle. They lived a very different life than we have. <laughs> I mean, th th they are the reason black metal scares people. Yeah, like the it's kind of like a like the joke of like, oh, black metal, like they do. They just, you know, kill people, burn churches and stuff. The reason it has that image is because of man. Yeah. The, okay, these guys were like, actually literally doing things. it, which is it's it does give some weird context when you're listening to it. And it's not like. This isn't an act. This isn't a musical expression. This is like, this is what these people actually were and did and thought and like lived. That's wild. Yeah, and very disturbing. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. yeah. Adds a lot of gravity to the record. Yeah. Um, but getting a little bit into the actual music itself, it's kind of, this is an album where it's kind of difficult to talk about the music because so much about it is kind of in some ways a lot more interesting than the album itself. Right. Um, the riffs are so fucking punishing on this Oh, album. they are, yeah. And they just sound like decades ahead of their time, in my opinion. They really do. Yeah. Oh, the riffs um, are great. Yeah, the, the tones, everything, it's... it's and the, the, what was cool to me is, um, you know, the guitar tones throughout are, are pretty much identical. They don't really vary a lot, but at the same time, it never gets old. Um, it still manages to... Mm -hmm. And it's not like it's not um, it's not that varied. It's not definitely not melodic by any means, but it, it still maintained my interest um, throughout the whole thing. It's a it's another case of uh, it's another counterpoint to you can't just be loud and aggressive the entire time and have it have an impact. It's like, well, like, sometimes uh, you can yeah, if you're yeah, really fucking you're good, good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just like the drums on here are just so brutal and raw and just. There's some like really just deep hits from the drums oh, yeah. throughout this album. Um, the the vocal performance is interesting. Um, yeah, the uh, I mean it, it it's good. It's not. It's certainly not like as refined as some of the stuff we heard last year. Or I mean it. 
I don't know how to categorize it. It sounds like an even more brutal and raw and unrefined version of the vocals off Essex Trillium. Yeah, that's yeah. a good comparison. It really is. It's like, like it's the, the the founding point for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it works perfectly for what it is. I mean, it's I, I I wouldn't want it to be refined. I wouldn't want it to be. It, yeah, none yeah. nothing on this album is refined at all. Like no, I mean, I am kind of surprised to not hear Eric just totally shit all over the production of this record. Uh, I mean, part I, of it I, is I, just like that's just what yeah. black metal back in the '90s was. Like, there's no getting around it. But um, the production on this album is complete ass. It's total garbage. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably helps that I listen to this on a plane with jet engines outside of my headphones, so it already kind of sounded like <laughs> shit. But like that, the fact that that didn't really take away from the album should give you a hint. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, like, it's black metal it, in the eighties. I mean, is it what are you legal do to listen to this? Is it legal to listen to this <laughs> album on a plane? <laughs> oh. But I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, the, the production is shit, but but it's not, I mean, it's not unexpected shit. It's it's pretty much exactly what you thought you would get from something like this recorded in the 80s. Uh, when I was when I was listening to this for the last time, I started taking notes on it. But after, like, honestly, the first song, I was like, I, I don't really need to take notes on this. Like, it's it's pretty just straightforward, just in your face, crazy aggressive black metal. And it starts from the very first song. Like the very first yep. hit, it just immediately just oh, like really yeah. like in your face from the get go, kind of like uh, the Gulch record, except it's 45 minutes long. Right. Pretty much. And, and you know, 30 years old. I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say on it. I mean, it's it's wildly influential. I would I would recommend it, you know, probably for the same kind of historic reasons that I might recommend Phydra. Uh, but it, I mean, if, if you're a, a metalhead, especially in the, the more extreme metal, I mean, again, if you're you probably know you what it is. If you haven't heard this album yet, you have to listen to it. But, if, you know, if you're getting into the genre, this is another, you know, it's an important step in the history. Ben, any any closing yeah. thoughts? Yeah, no, nothing uh, too different from what you guys have said. I, I'm glad I listened to it. Um, I really liked it. Um, obviously, know the history, too. <laughs> if you want to take a pass, that's understandable. Uh, but yeah, no, do it's, not blame you in the slightest. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's definitely a, a compelling thing to talk about uh, for many reasons. And um, yeah, I think it was a really good pick for this week. Um, if you guys had yeah. to rank these albums in terms of, of your favorite to lead. Well, I mean, we all enjoyed everything, but if you had to order these, what would you do? Man, that's really tough for me. It is. Especially because yeah. I enjoyed, you know, at least two of these I enjoyed more in a historical context than in a a musical context almost. It is a, a tricky proposition. I think I would probably pick Phydra and then Mayhem and then Fishman's. But that's, that's going to be go, heavily genre bias for me. I think I would go Mayhem, Tangerine Dream, Fishman's. And Fishman's is only because of the shit in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I really cannot understand how much of that ruins the album for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, how about you, Ben? Uh, I think I'd, it's close, but um, I'd probably go Fishman's, Mayhem, Tangerine Dream. Yeah, but, that, that uh, makes perfect sense to me. I mean, yeah, it's probably not going to surprise you guys either, but I mean, they're all really good. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, these yeah, are I'm, all fantastic. I'm surprised the yeah. toilet sounds haven't been talked about more in in the reviews I've read of that. I don't know if 
I've come across anyone else mentioning that, but I see a couple people say it in the rate your music comments, okay. but that's about it. Really. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that isn't talked about more. Coming but, to you live uh, in full HD through your speakers. <laughs> it's so. Oh, have it's you guys so heard the, the live version of the of no. the album song? I have no. Uh, so uh, Fishman's they they're one of actually their most highly acclaimed records is actually a live record. Um, yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. And they actually close out the entire performance with a live rendition of Long Seasons. Oh, cool. Wow. And, yeah. Um, and when that time comes, one of them just takes a shit on stage? Um, probably, yeah. In a but, bucket. Um, but no, it's actually it's a really, bucket. really cool uh, rendition of it. So if you haven't heard the live version, I highly suggest checking it out. I definitely like it more than uh, the original. Oh, cool. Uh, they do they do a really good job. Um, but uh, I believe that'll be it for our classics episode number one. Um, yeah. So this kind of started as just something to do uh, while we wait for new albums to come out in 2021. But um, we actually really like doing it, so we're going to continue doing it throughout the year. Do you guys know what you're going to do for our next quote unquote no. classics I have album. no idea I think I have a lot of potential um, choices but yeah. yeah I have no idea what I'm going to pick yet the one I want the one I'm going to do next is uh, Daughters self-titled okay. oh cool God, I've mainly just to... because I love Daughters and I feel that album doesn't get the recognition it deserves because it's just been completely overshadowed by you won't get what you want um, I'm looking uh, forward so to yeah, that I've just, been I just want meaning to, to do that for a long I, I really time. like that record too yeah yeah um yeah, so thank you all very much uh, for listening, and uh, join us next time. Have a good night. <laughs>